Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Rob Jolly, co-founder and CEO of Onto. We're an electric vehicle subscription service, and that means you get for one monthly flat fee uh, and no lock-in an electric car with, with your insurance, servicing, and public charging included. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello there and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Markar and as you've just heard there from the introduction and I assume from the title of this podcast this week, we're being joined uh, by Rob Jolly, CEO and co-founder of Onto. Hello Rob, how are you? Hi, John. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm delighted as well. We, we mentioned before we started recording, because I, I often think of our little space here in Coventry as a little bit, whilst we're in the centre of the country, for a lot of people, it involves a long drive. And brilliantly, you were like, yeah, I'm just down the road. Basically, what, 10, 15 minutes to get in today? I am, yeah. yeah. And I mean, especially with um, with Coventry's automotive history, I've, I've been around the region uh, at Jaguar Land Rover in my career before. So yeah. we're, we're now just in Warwick, so not Brilliant. too far away. Yeah, excellent stuff. Excellent. So a lot of things to talk about today, because of course, anyone that's a regular listener of the podcast, if they've been listening in chronological order, they'll know that we've been building up to this episode today talking to, uh, I'm going to call you an EV industry expert, Feel free to use that as a, a as as big or as little as you like. Um, but we don't often talk to people from the EV world. A lot of what we do, we talk about EVs a lot. And as an outfit, we drive a lot of EVs. We've written lots of reviews and made lots of video content about EVs. Um, but we we haven't had that many conversations with people that are actively involved in the world of EVs exclusively. It's often manufacturers who do a bit of both, and there's a bit of crossover. Uh, but your business is 
predominantly or exclusively, I should say, all around EVs, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, and I guess um, I probably came from the same starting point. of I, I worked at Jaguar Land Rover before, was always massively into cars growing up and, um, uh, and actually was lucky enough back in 2014, 2015, probably. I, I was an innovation manager at Jaguar and managed to, um, to do some testing of the, the Tesla Model S and a few electric cars back then and was blown away actually by... Um, by the all-round package for it and and actually the fact that there were so many compromises back then in electric cars and Tesla's quality was awful and every other car's range was awful but I just the acceleration you got from those cars and and the the quietness in the cabin and and there are so many other advantages that actually I, I came into the industry more from seeing the the excitement of what could happen and the disruption that I thought was going to happen from electric vehicles once a few of those compromises were removed rather than actually being probably the other extent of um, massively kind of pushing the zero emission agenda to start with and trying to find a business or or an avenue into that. Mm. Yeah, I find it interesting. So what was that, what era were you at Jaguar? Was that fairly recent? Yeah, so I, I joined Jaguar and JLR in 2011 and was Great. there till till I started my company in early 2017. So, Perfect. yeah. Uh, so that was that was a really interesting time. I mean, it's still an ongoing interesting time for EVs, isn't it? Because there's a lot of manufacturers who are now just jumping into it. There were some that were early adapters to it. Some manufacturers have said we're going exclusively EV, Volvo, for example, exclusively EV from a certain date. Um, and others like Mitsubishi saying we're not going to do them at all. Like we're just going to stick to good old fashioned fossil fuels. Um, what was it about EVs then for you? I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I assume you've gone into the automotive industry as a, a person with an interest in cars. And I assume as, as yeah. a lot of us <laughs> did as we were little, got excited about cars with petrol engines and loud exhaust, that sort of stuff. What was that kind of little light bulb moment for you that made you realize oh actually maybe maybe ev is a great thing as opposed to the vast majority i'd say saying you know when they first hear about evs and they being told that the future is going to be electric and we have to stop driving petrol and diesel cars there's often a bit of a grumble a bit of a moan for you clearly it was the opposite so can you remember what it was that made you think oh actually this this could be the the positive future rather than the negative yeah i think Probably it was driving a Tesla for the first time before. And, and I mean, but our team went on to come up with the concept behind the Jaguar I-Pace and, and right. launched JLR's first electric car. So it was really with that in mind that we were, we were testing and driving these EVs. And it was back then so kind of out there and so niche that, I'd, I mean, I'd, I just loved the, the experience of driving a Tesla, how different it was. I know it's very marmite mm. it, it is very um, people love or hate them. Um, but it, it was, I, I thought it had the opportunity to actually be something that genuinely could be not a compromise for the average customer once the technology had caught up, which I, I think it's starting to get there. And I, I think it is important to make a switch. We shouldn't be pushing electric cars on people. It's it got to get to the point where it's, 
uncompromising enough it's easy enough that you can drive an electric car and you you can actually even the important bit that we're trying to uh, on to get actually over the hurdle with is actually financing an electric car and making it easier to make the switch without being locked in without paying more than you'd pay for for a petrol diesel car Mm. so i think there's a a few hurdles that that we've had to get over as kind of an industry and as consumers but Ultimately, I think everyone would rather do something that's better for the environment and better for the world if it wasn't a compromise. But as soon yeah. as it is, then then it's understandable. No one wants to make that that change. So yeah. um, I think it is about trying to learn and live with an EV to to and and actually making sure that it does work for the everyday person not just the the rich people who who have off-road parking and can afford an audi e-tron or a tesla mm. or every other kind of uh posh kind of ev that that's out there at a high price point at the moment yeah that's a really good point and i think i was having a flick through your website and you've got some brilliant faqs on there which relate to that subject which i think is a really common one i think there is this conception um that to own an EV, you have to have a lot of money in the bank. They are expensive things. You know, even the smaller, if we're looking, scaling all the way down to kind of the Renault Zoe, Nissan Leaf shaped cars, the equivalent electric car in comparison to, say, the Micra or the Clio is a little bit more expensive. But of course, that becomes with many, many reasons, that being battery technology, it's still a new side of the automotive industry which of course when anything is new it's always a bit expensive at the beginning you think back to the price of digital cameras when they first appeared versus now or televisions that's the other common comparison it's it can be quite a daunting thing as well beyond just the finances for a lot of people the idea especially drivers that have been driving for many generations who are so used to i buy my car i go to the petrol station i put the petrol pump in i fill it up i drive away and that's it that's as complex as it needs to be for a lot of people there's this very unclear confusing perhaps intimidating side to electric cars do you find that have you found that with a lot of your customers that you're having to give a lot of reassurance or educate people and on that same merit are people keen to learn or are you still finding there's a lot of people that are just like nope it's not for me yeah oh it's a great question i I think yes there's definitely a lot of people that it's not for them and and there's also a lot of people who are coming to us and and really wanting to to try and, and make it work and and really what we're trying to do is offer a very easy way to to try and ultimately if it doesn't work go back to petrol or diesel but I, I think it's a really important point you you kind of said around um the education because it is it is trying to understand like firstly can can it work for you how do you even go about charging it how what is range anxiety will you really get it in everyday life but secondly do the costs actually add up? I mean, I know from driving an EV for long enough that there's huge kind of savings on driving an EV. Um, I mean, businesses, on top of that, you get even more tax savings for, for company cars. So it's enormous savings for the employers and employees. But in everyday life, there is so much less servicing required. There's so much lower costs on actually refueling the car um, and like you said around where you charge i mean me and my co-founder live in very different locations he lives in north london doesn't have off-road parking i live in warwickshire do for me it's far simpler to to drive an ev that has 300 miles range 
than it is to drive a petrol or diesel because I, I don't ever, I mean, at work I can plug it in, at home I can plug it in. If under once a year I go to Cornwall or, or wherever, I, I might charge on the way down, but I've got a two-year-old in the car that all want to stop for 15, 20 minutes anyway. My my co-founder, Dannon, on the other hand, he lives with no, no off-road parking, but he has on his road now installed a charger. So it is as simple as, as just parking up next to that charger, plugging it in, coming out in the morning, and it's fully charged again. So I, I think the infrastructure is getting there, mm. but you've got to experience it. You've got to sit and live with a car, and that's why what we're offering with one month subscriptions with no kind of down payment, not the traditional... I have to buy a car either outright or on finance. And if I buy it on finance, I've got to keep it for four years. That is a massive hurdle to actually even thinking about buying an EV because a test drive where you go and experience the car for an hour isn't going to give you what you need in terms of can I live with it. But buying a car outright or on a four-year finance deal is way too big a commitment Mm. when you're not sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, yeah, that comparison of... People that have the the luxury of off-road parking versus people that don't, that is definitely one that brings up a lot of talking topics. And again, I think that is, as you quite rightly say, it's a brilliant reason for the the one-month subscription service. Trying before you buy, there's so many dealerships, as you, as you quite rightly point out, that will say, you know, have the car for 24 hours or have it for a day. And that's a great way to find out what the car's like, like where to put luggage and if the kids fit in the back, all that sort of stuff. That's fantastic. But... You don't really get to know an EV or the practicalities of an EV until you've had it for two or three days. And I've found this from a just a road testing point of view. I'm very lucky. I get to road test and drive a lot of cars and motorcycles. And I got very excited about certain EVs. The e-tron GT was one that uh, I, I had just before Christmas. And I absolutely loved the car. But for me, as somebody that doesn't have somewhere to park off-road with a charging facility, it was a nightmare. So for me, I realized, okay, I love the car. I love the technology. I love the capabilities and the power and the practicalities. But I knew that for me, until I have the luxury because of the job I do, which involves driving up and down the country a lot, it probably wouldn't work unless I was willing to factor in a good kind of half an hour, 40 minutes at a charging point on every journey. And for me, that turned out to be a bit of a disaster. But again, (laughs) I think as I quite fairly said in my review, you know, we are still in the grand scheme of things in the infancy of EVs as a mainstream product. And therefore, with time, it will get better. If you think back to journalists, many colleagues of mine driving EVs five years ago, Everyone was grumbling about it. Everyone was moaning, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But only five years later, suddenly the infrastructure has got better and it will only continue to get better. Um, I've got, and we will get to them because there'll be a lot of people listening that have uh, submitted some questions. We've got a whole array of questions that our listeners have put forward uh, through our social media feeds and we'll get through to those in a bit because I think people will really enjoy um, hearing some of the questions and opinions and some of your answers. Uh, We're not going to uh, try and put you on the spot or paint EVs as a big (laughs) evil electric demon taking away our... uh, our fossil fuel freedom or anything like that. Uh, it'd be, but it will be interesting to get some talking topics. But before we get there, one of the things that I always like to do with any of our guests that join us on the podcast is get a bit more of a background information on them, um, where the whole the love for cars and the love for the industry started. So uh, my question for you, Rob, is can you think of a core memory, something that may have happened in your childhood as a young child or growing a little bit older that might have been the early core memory in and around cars that has led you to where you are now 
Oh, I'd actually say it's probably a person for me. And my um my my granddad um were I, I was very close to um uh, and he he was a massive car nut. He he actually worked as an apprentice and and ended up um kind of growing and and going on to other things and actually I think working in HR at the end. But um uh, he was a massive car nut and actually he he bought a Jaguar S type which mm. um. I think probably massive car nuts would slate as a car, um, but but he bought that because he was an apprentice, and that was the car he worked on when he was an apprentice oh, wow. back then, yeah. and and had an absolute love for this car, and used to take me out on it and drive, frankly, like an absolute hooligan. So he <laughs> wasn't a good example, um, but I, I mean, I I used to go over to his house, and I remember I was always very keen on building things and and that that side of things, and. Um, I, I managed I found a book and yeah I think naively my granddad took me up on it which was build your own go-kart for 25 pounds or something like that but I actually built this go-kart with him he, he he went out we went out bought the metal we hired like a uh, a welding um tool and and actually went through and built the go-kart and spent ages doing that and that, that for me was um a really core cool memory I, I was very into it's very into cars and the design of cars and everything growing up as a kid but actually I think working with my granddad and trying to build one on my own and getting actually the I guess the more nuances of okay you've got to go and source some brakes on eBay secondhand mm. and doing that in school lunch times and it sounds incredibly geeky mm-hmm. but that gave me a bit more of an appreciation but it was all driven actually from from being very close to my granddad and him being a massive car nut, I think, and, and encouraging me more than anything. I don't think there's anywhere, we were anywhere close to 25 pounds. And <laughs> when, when we actually finished it, it was all secondhand off eBay and that kind of things. But when we actually finished it, we realized that the engine was massively underpowered versus the massive steel frame. So yeah. it was a complete failure and it still sits <laughs> in um, actually my, my nan's garage at, at their house, which, cause I don't have room for it, but it, it was a great experience. And really, I, I think it, yeah, it's fundamental to how much uh, into cars I've been. Mm. Maybe it's time to swap an EV motor on there then. Maybe. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to start tinkering with an electric motor anytime soon. No, and I'm not that practical, to be honest. It makes me out to be more practical than I am. Yeah. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them as well. There's lots of little like social media clips and things, often with uh, DIY dads at home, uh, both here in the UK and over in the US, who've worked out that they can take their kids off the shelf electric toy car thing you know the ones you kind of sit in and realize oh you can put a a dewalt battery from a drill <laughs> on it and make it a lot more powerful Soup it up. yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, uh, that's that's what i've got in mind uh, for your for the future of that go kart I, I mean i had no idea i mean i was probably 16 17 when we finished it but i had no idea where we planned to actually drive it cuz we had nowhere <laughs> to drive it but i think it was more the actual building it yeah. that, that was the experience brilliant and you mentioned you went on to jlr um what was that role what was your role there yeah, I started in the graduate scheme um, initially, and and similar to the room we sat in with all the to explain all the the cone um, kind yeah. of sound protectors in. I worked in noise, vibration, harshness to start oh, with, right. so it was very much on yeah how you remove the noise and sitting in those big studios you see yeah. with all the 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 spiky kind of foam. Um, but yeah, I mean, as much as I I did kind of train up as an engineer, I. I wasn't that much into the the actual nuts and bolts of it. I, mm. I'm more like the the 
bigger picture and the strategy and actually moved into a strategy role not long after kind of going through the grad scheme and and worked actually as a product strategy manager for the the vast majority of my time that I was there. Great. And what was it then that turned on a light for you to go and pursue something bigger and better? Was there has that always been an ambition of yours? Was it always has there been a, you know a, a pilot light for running your own company somewhere deep down, or was that did that inspiration come from elsewhere? Yeah, I, I actually talked with my wife about this recently to say I, I wonder what it was that that drove me. But I mean, both my my parents and my wife have said I always talked about wanting to start my own business and mm. being a millionaire by thirty, and that never happened. But um, <laughs> but I think the the vision and ambition of of wanting to start something was always there, and yeah. um, I was always coming up with kind of cockamania business ideas and being convinced by friends and family why of all the flaws in them and (laughs) and eventually stumbled on one where they actually said that's not bad it might work interesting I you know I find it fascinating because you know I'm very lucky I get to talk to a lot of um I I have this strange relationship with the word entrepreneur because I think it's often overused and especially when people use it around themselves I find it quite crass yeah Um, but I do I have found a lot of people that are perhaps I say with inverted commas, entrepreneurial or have something in them that wants to kind of push them further with ideas. And that kind of family conversation is one that comes up all the time. I remember having it with my own family when I was a bit younger. I assume we we're a similar age. And, you know, there'd be ideas that you'd come up with, which in your head, just like, this is brilliant. This is clearly <laughs> the one. Nobody else has thought of this. I'm going to do this. It's going to make me a multimillionaire. And then, of course, your family are like, yeah. Some of them, you know, perhaps more uh, <laughs> strategic than others with their, their delivery. Um, who kind of then then shoot it down again would you say you're from a aspirational family or do you is is it a pattern that has unfolded or were you kind of like not really so I think my interestingly both my grandparents were I mean one of my other grandparent was um was actually an orphan and came from but both came from very poor backgrounds and actually made their way up to Mm. to being quite high up in businesses by the end but uh, no I mean my 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 dad was a head teacher my my mum um for the majority stayed at home um and and was kind of looking after us the the kids so so no there there wasn't anything really that i mean my my brother's now one's in marketing one's a teacher it's not it doesn't run in the family so to speak so yeah and i mean i also went out and got a fairly normal corporate role at jaguar land rover so i i hadn't i hadn't got it in my head i was going to just be a inverted commas entrepreneur and i also Mm. hate that word but um (laughs) it was more that i was constantly thinking how i could go and start my own business but had no idea probably if it was just a a dream or actually would ever be a reality great so because i know we have a lot of listeners who do have that same ambition they've got that idea they've got or maybe they don't know fully what that idea is. As you say, that's a really good point because I think a lot of people have that ambition. They don't necessarily know the plan and that's fine. You know, it's it's fine to figure out that journey as they go along. I love exploring the emotion and that kind of timeline between having that stable <laughs> either contractor job or full-time job that then led to the moment that you wake up one morning and go, right, today's the day. I'm handing him a notice I'm going to go and start this business. What was that process like for you? Was it a quick and simple one or was it one that... I think I did did enough work around it and spoke to enough people around it that I felt like 
that this could actually work. I've, I've got to give it a go. So, mm. I mean, we managed to get a deal very early on with BYD, who actually are now becoming a really big global yeah. player. But they had some cars abandoned in the UK with a taxi deal that collapsed. And oh, and they wow. would actually just rent them to us for um, on a monthly basis. No down payment, no banks involved, as long as we had the cash to pay. Mm-hmm. That's really how... Uh, it was a few breaks like that where we spoke to people. I spoke to someone in Uber and we actually started hiring... Uh, or subscribing the cars out to Uber drivers using these BYDs. Wow. But I spoke to someone on Uber, actually on a stag do, he just happened to work <laughs> at Uber and said, there is huge demand for drivers to to kind of have cars and they mm. would move to EVs as long as you can make it convenient enough for them and cheap enough for them. And and that that's really how how it all came about. So it was a few lucky breaks. And, and then it was... I think in in my own head, quite a quick decision of, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I mean, my wife again reminds me of this because I, I came home and told her I'd resigned rather than <laughs> going through that whole process. And I, I didn't even remember that. So I thought I'd, I'd had, I mean, it must have been going on for months, but she also reminded me as well that it was about nine months after we got married. And was this my plan all along? But mm. it, it wasn't. <laughs> God, I can just imagine the emotion in the house. Oh, by the way, uh, how was your day at work? Yeah, fine. Yours? Yeah, fine. Good. Yeah, resigned. Um. <laughs> yeah, <'cause I'm, laughs> yeah. I mean, we had no outside funding when we started the business and yeah. uh, I, I basically paid myself 900 quid a, a month month and and my wife did a lot and my family did a lot to support so um yeah I I think for sure please bear in mind if you're going to go and start the business it's not just your decision it, mm. it's going to have a massive impact on your family but um but yeah it, it's I I think one once I was decided I was probably a bit um spontaneous or volatile whatever with with my um yeah my decision making mm. Yeah, well, it's amazing. I love exploring it. I love finding out these these stories because there's always so much to it, isn't there? As, as you say, you know, with regards to other family that are involved and you've got a lot of people around you that really care and nobody wants to see their relative fail or fall on hard times. So there can it comes with it so many emotional strains and difficulties and challenges, I guess is a better word to use. Um, but it's also the reason that not everyone does it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, as you say, it is a difficult thing to do. It's a very, very bold step to make in your anyone's working life, whether you're doing it as a late teen, early 20-year-old through to somebody that's been working in a fairly stable job or industry for 20 or 30 years and deciding, nope, that's it. I'm now in my late 40s, early 50s. I want to have a go at that business idea that I've always thought of. It takes, it, it, you know, it takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? It's a, it's a big, scary thing to do. Yeah, I think I was probably a bit naive going into it of of what it takes, but it it does. Like with hindsight looking back, I'm not sure I would have made the same decision because it it is tough and it is um a big strain and yeah. Mm. And it, it it's a big risk, but what's the worst that can happen? You I'd rather be on my deathbed and and have tried it and it failed and gone gone back to the the job I had before than um than kind of wondering what if. Yeah, no, that's a sentiment I definitely share with you. Do you think that naivety might have actually helped in certain instances as well, rather than yeah. having a, the ability to fully think things through? Because again, that's something I find with age. You know, we think back on decisions we made as teenagers, early 20s, think that was really stupid, but I'm glad it worked out. Or sometimes it didn't work out. You know, I've certainly found myself in this world where I've taken risks in a working environment that haven't paid off, but I'm kind of glad I took the risk. But now, even as a 
35-year-old, I think, God, I wouldn't try that now because that, that just seems silly. Yeah, and uh, definitely. I think the naivety is a strength to a certain degree. I mean, it, it's also a strength if you have experience around you to, mm. to help with that and, and higher kind of experience. But, I mean, if you we're now at 7,000 cars in, wow. in five years and have 140 employees. And if you'd have told me that six years ago, I mean, my ambitions were way lower than that. Mm. <laughs> so I would never believed you. And if you said, well... Yeah, this is where you're going to go. I'd have said, I am 100% not the person who can grow in and, and do that. So I, I don't think, and that's, yeah, with it, all the bits that sound on the outside like it's gone well, but mm. actually it's all the the not as nice bits that you've had to go through along the way. And uh, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, and sure you you know it as well from, from what you've done and built is um is resilience because I mean you you've just got to be resilient and keep going and keep plodding along through it but it's it's not always as as fun and glamorous as it seems on the outside no no exactly that can you recall any times where perhaps you know bad days in the office or some ambitions hadn't quite gone to plan were there times where you thought oh, maybe I have bitten off a bit more than I can chew with this oh, I mean if you in 2020 when lockdown hit we're a one month subscription company mm. we we have to we rely on kind of vehicle financing and debt facilities as well as um kind of the main business and and we had the the funder that was going to provide 75 million of funding for all of our future purchases pull the plug because of wow. what was happening we had an equity round tied to that so at that point in time we had no money in the bank mm -hmm. we had customers where we thought they they could all leave on mass because of what what the lockdowns that were happening um, and we had no funding, so all of our, our deals with car manufacturers, we were kind of thinking, well, do we have to pull the plug or mm. do we just try and find something and, and keep edging on? And, and I mean, to, to give the context of how dire that was, I mean... We, me and Dan and the two co-founders had um, had our mortgages, our houses yeah. tied against the business. So it, it meant if we went down, wow. we went down, lost the house, lost our, everything with it. And I mean, we don't you don't pay yourself a proper salary as a, a, a founder. And so, yeah, there, there's definitely been bleak times that we've had to go through. And it's not, I mean, there's been bleak times recently. We've had to make redundancies with what's happening in the world mm. and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've pulled out of expanding into Germany because of that as well. So the, there's areas where, um, yeah, it, it's not the most fun. And I think that's probably the most um, the most frustrating thing to look at what people think it's like to, to own and run your own business versus the reality, the freedom that yeah. you apparently have as a founder. It's like It couldn't be further from the truth. You're more trapped and mm. tied in with, with what you're, you're running than if you had a normal job and a normal salary and could move into and do something else if you choose. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, t nobody warns you about the 3 a.m. sudden wake-ups where you go, ah, right, now I can't sleep at all and I feel compelled to write endless notes on my phone to come up with <laughs> ideas. And yeah. yeah, there are there is a lot to, yeah, going at it uh, to run your own business that aren't as glamorous. I think everyone kind of sees they, or, or a lot of people, I should say, see that vision of business owner as well. You have your yacht in Monaco, you take your helicopter away at the weekend because <laughs> you're instantly earning a million pounds a day. So that's brilliant. But yeah, no, there are some... Uh, there are some difficult times as well. So talk me through, well, in fact, actually, before we get to that bit, talk me through the recovery from that bizarre COVID period. Because for 
a lot of people and all sorts of different industries. I mean, at the time I was running a travel and hospitality business, which of course didn't go well. Um, So, and for a lot of people, the pandemic really was the end of their business. At what point for you, do you remember realizing, ah, okay, actually maybe we are going to pull through this? Was it the automotive industry picking back up again? Was it uh, people's desire? Because I remember a lot of people suddenly didn't want to use public transport as a result of the pandemic. Suddenly yeah. the idea of being near other people was quite a daunting, scary thing. Uh, so therefore used car sales suddenly started rocketing, didn't they? Plus the demand and the supply chain and uh, semiconductor chip shortages and rubber shortages drove everything, used car market, berserk. Did yeah. you find a similar thing in the world of EV or was it a slower uptake? Um, yeah, I, th- I think we saw at the, the back end of it in the, the summer autumn, it's suddenly everything picked up very quickly and mm. um, uh, I mean we were actually fortunate enough to take the government C-bills um, yeah. loan scheme and, and that really was a, a saviour for us because it just enabled us not only to kind of tread water which we were doing but actually to um to start growing again and and the growth for now i mean i think we went into the lockdown with 400 cars in in march 2020 and yeah then by probably end of 2021 we're on six thousand cars so it, it it exploded after that and i think um yeah, I think actually we're in a more challenging period now than than anything through the lot. And lockdown was very much, and there was a lot of the talk of the V-shaped recovery and mm. all the different shape recoveries. Um, I think this is a a more challenging period for for kind of globally. Um, with with the cost of living and all the other pressures that we've got on, and uh, yeah, the used car market, the semiconductor crisis, all of that has um has kind of stabilized now so it, it will be yeah it'd be interesting to see uh, how the recovery comes but um but yeah it was a bit of a wave through 2021 in particular yeah i can imagine i really can so let's go back then to the that point of starting the business up and the idea that you've had i assume so you mentioned there are a couple of other founders who perhaps you shared the vision with or had a also brought their ideas to the table how did it all come about and what was the structure of setting up a subscription service exclusively for EVs over all cars, including fossil fuel cars? Yeah, I mean, so I worked in strategy at JLR. I very much was working on where the world had to go and what manufacturers were thinking about and where it could go. And I I think, the, like I mentioned earlier, it's the, the, the... couple of bits pulling together the the fact that it's quite hard to finance an ev um in the sense of do you really want to commit when it's the first time you've experienced it and then actually the compromises of the product and how quickly that will come and and for me those two factors could move very quickly the the subscription i mean 80 percent of new cars are bought on finance it's the yeah. vast majority two thirds of customers never own that final car so the vast majority of customers don't own a car outright that if they're buying one new so so the the opportunity to make it easier to have it a monthly flexible contract and actually for it to be all inclusive so that you could truly see the cost savings um were, was really important and and i think that again the education of how much does it really cost to run a car how much are you actually putting in in fuel each month if you add it all out that that is a bit that that we have to spend a lot of time communicating to make sure people actually realize it when they move to electric because ultimately we don't 
care if people continue subscribing cars from us we'd like that to happen but the market is big enough we'd rather push people into to it taking the step of seeing whether it works mm. and ultimately staying in an ev and and getting their own and actually with the used car markets coming down now the price for electric cars are, are super affordable mm. in the used car market they are actually starting to be kind of comparable or lower than than petrol and diesel cars so so ultimately we're just trying to drive people into it and yeah i think that was the the big for me the big driving force behind why i wanted to to start it because i saw the opportunity that the market was going it was going to be mandated by law whether or not you believe that's the right thing or not um by 2030 or 2035 i think for but yeah, I mean, the reality is consumers will move at their own pace and mm. either the regulation will be pulled back if it's not happening quickly enough or it will actually be that the manufacturers and consumers have, have already moved before we get to that point. So new car sales are, are almost entirely electric by that point. And I, my gut feeling is that that is the way it will go. I yeah. mean, Norway and some of the Nordic regions are at 80% of new car sales electric now. China is at, I think, 40% this year. So it, the the transition is happening rapidly. And mm. I think it is about trying to make sure that the government's put enough incentives in place to actually make it, like you say, um, easy to do it where the charging infrastructure is there versus yeah. um, where it probably is today. Sure, absolutely. And we'll get to the we'll get to the kind of the, the core questions that people have sent in. But where where do you stand just on a personal view of that kind of well firstly i'll start with the synthetic fuel thing as you've probably seen so recently uh, porsche and siemens have, uh, as well as many other technology companies have put in a large amount of development and spend into harnessing and creating synthetic fuel effectively pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and magically, I'm going to say because I don't understand the full process of how it works, but it's something to do with hydrocarbons and. I think I think it things. is fairly magically today yeah. because there's not really a, a proper no manufacturing route to do it. Right? No, that's right. But do you see that as potentially something that may disrupt the the legislations? For example, the European. Um, committee i can't think what they're called now but the, the the big bureaucratic office that decides on when these laws will come in have actually said okay we may not enforce the 2035 rule now as a result of this work that's already been done can you see that happening or do you think that the ship is now far too far yeah. out of the dock on evs i think yeah i, I think it is uh, i think it's to a certain degree going to be an irrelevance because uh, i mean if synthetic fuels can genuinely be produced and and get into the levels that they need then then great but i think the price of them is still mm. expected to be so high that that it is going to be niche and it's going to enable sales of lamborghinis or, or yeah. the posh cars i'm i'm sure but um i don't think it's going to change the kind of the the, the ship's direction mm. so to speak and I, I think people will by that point have voted with their feet and i mean the 
the worry from a European car manufacturer's point of view is they kind of they have to put their eggs in one basket now. Mm. They're, they're already doing all the manufacturing changes and de- design changes, engineering changes to get to electric because they know the, the legislation's there. And if they don't do it, you've already seen what Tesla's done. The Chinese are coming in a big way mm. with a lot of cars that are now actually at a better quality than they ever were before. And at a price point that is going to mean that it could be a fight for survival for car manufacturers if they don't really go big to make sure they're competitive in that yeah. space. So so I, I do think we've probably already passed the point of no return for EVs, as much as that might not be what, um, <laughs> what some of your listeners want to sure, hear. Yeah, but yeah. it will also take a long time to really transition through to all cars because, I mean, it's only new car sales we're talking about and the used car market is eight times the size of the the new car market so on the flip side of the the kind of possibility of synthetic fuels coming along i'd be interested to get your take and it doesn't have to be too in-depth because i appreciate this is a a delicate subject but the not so green side of evs which is significant and it is one that only now i think the masses are slowly coming around to people are doing research into where lithium ion comes from where cobalt comes from the processes in how batteries are refined and made and put into cars and of course there's the the analogies of um, the metals precious metals being mined and refined in africa before then being shipped to a battery building facility in california before then being shipped by big heavy diesel ships to China to be turned into batteries before then going back across the oceans to be put into Teslas and Toyotas and various other marks. Where do you sit with that side of things? Are you? Has there been an element of caution with you know again waving that big green flag with saving the world flag, knowing yeah. that at the moment it's still there's still a long way to go until it's really good, isn't it? Yeah, no. <laughs> I'd I'd say I'm fairly pragmatic in the sense of I I'm not uh, one of these people who will fight and say mm. what the hell are you doing not driving an EV and uh, I mean I'm not a vegan I go on planes uh, everything yeah. else so I mean um, but yeah at the same point an EV is still uh, there, there's so much research already today to say that an EV overtakes petrol diesel in terms of it's it's good for the world very quickly mm. from a a carbon emissions point of view as the world gets more and more renewable energy kind of driven then then that gets even higher and higher and over time the the benefit is even better and obviously air quality as well is is, is very obviously improved from from day one the ethics of of where yeah it comes from there's no getting away from there there needs to be a lot of changes and in a lot of improvements and i guess we we got to remember it took however long, 100, 150 years to get where we got to with the petrol and Mm. diesel engines. And actually, electric is very much at the start of the journey. I think BYD and one of the other manufacturers are launching a a sodium ion battery, Mm. which is um, obviously a lot more ethical and a lot more abundant as a material. Um, And that's coming out next year. I think the the innovation that can come and drive that um, will mean that over time, the kind of the co2 and ethical um i guess arguments just get greater and greater for evs but i i'm not going to stand here and fight the corner and say what the hell are you doing if you're not driving an ev you're destroying this world because it's it's firstly got to work for everyone and secondly it isn't perfect today but it is better than what we're currently doing yeah 
No, that's a really good point. Well put. Uh, what we'll do, we're going to cut to a quick advert break just to appease our sponsors. And uh, then when we come back, we'll face some of these questions. We'll work through these questions to see what other talking points we've got. We'll be right back. Hello, it's John Markar here from the Driven Chat podcast, the podcast that you're probably listening to right now. Now, the reason I'm jumping in as a separate addition to this week's episode is because I want to bring to your attention the fact that we, as Driven and the Driven Chat podcast, are now inviting sponsorship opportunities for our podcast. The Driven Chat podcast has now had more than half a million independent downloads. We have listeners in all corners of the world, but the majority of them are here, right here in the UK. And the reason I say right here is because that's where I'm recording this little advert section. Now, if you are a company, a brand, an organisation, an individual, any form of organisation at all that feel that could benefit from half a million listeners all over the world, then, well, now is the time to get in touch. Podcast at drivenchat.com is the email address you will need to send an inquiry email to. Alternatively, head on over to the website drivenchat.com forward slash contact and there you will see some options of how to get in contact with us and send over a bit more information if there is information you feel we need to see. One thing I can promise you is that sponsorship opportunities are not going to be quite as expensive as you probably think. So why not get in contact? I can talk you through some various different options, episode by episode or a string of episodes or month by month or who knows what other options there may be available for you the discussions are there to be had so please do get in touch podcast at drivenchat.com to speak about sponsorship opportunities of driven and the driven chat podcast and of course don't forget there is a lot more to us than just this podcast there's the youtube channel there's the website and the social media feeds all of which we will enjoy having conversations about collaborative efforts podcast at drivenchat.com or drivenchat.com forward slash contact to get in touch. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Driven Chat Podcast. Okay, we're back. Um, so, Rob, quite an interesting conversation so far. We've gone all, through all sorts of different angles from your career and the birth of the company and uh, the uh, uh, some opinions on what's been happening in the world of EVs and are they as green as people hope they would be or is there still a journey to go? And I think just before the break, you made a really great, poignant point uh, being that we are still in the grand scheme of things in the world of EVs exclusively setting aside what may be on the horizon with synthetic fuel or, or hydrogen which has kind of been bubbling away for 
about 10, 15 years or so, but I, I sadly think that ship has sailed now uh, for various reasons. Um, we are still at the infancy of this, aren't we, really? The grand scheme of things. If we're looking back now, if we're looking to a time machine 30 years from now, we'll look back at what was happening in 2023 and go, God, we're getting a lot of things wrong there. You know, we, we hadn't quite figured out that, as you say, sodium, was it sodium ion? I think it's sodium ion, yeah. yeah but I mean, there's then steady state batteries, mm. which they say can recharge in kind of minutes. And yeah, yeah I do Look, I'm not an expert in in the battery technology or the supply chain, but I, I think we don't even know where it will end up. No. But there, there is, a, it's like the COVID vaccines and mm. how much the the, the in investment of focus on the COVID vaccine rollout ended up. I mean, I, I read in the news the other day that they think that there'll be cures to or vaccines against types of cancer soon wow. that have just come from the COVID vaccine and the amount of investment going into it. Mm. So I think it's really the, the, the sheer amount of investment and time and thinking going into it will drive it being a, a better solution and continually developing. It's not like we we stopped with the petrol engine that we had in, in 1940. Mm. Um, it, I mean, if you compared the two engines, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even know what horsepower it is, but it's probably like five horsepower or something yeah. back then. Yeah, five horsepower and probably 0.2 miles to the gallon, whereas now, yeah. of course, you've got cars producing 800 horsepower with, yeah, yeah ridiculously high 60 70 uh, miles per gallon so yeah you're right i think the, the the development is is accelerating massively and um it's it's moments like this that i realize actually the modern world isn't it isn't quite as bad as people make out or quite as scary you know there's a lot of people that regale back to the good old days and um times were better when life was simpler but the the truth is it's actually a lot better now isn't it as you say you the analogy with covid vaccines is a perfect point to that to the point where a lot of people without going down the controversy route and the uh, um, conspiracy theory route you know a lot of people just couldn't understand how it could be so efficient and therefore there had to be something some foul play going on but the the truth is it worked because it had to work and there were the best brains in the world all putting their minds to it and making it work and the same is happening now in the automotive industry as well so it is a really really exciting time um so i've got here in front of me a lovely big list of uh questions and we'll work through some of them if there are any that you feel that is something i don't know the answer to that's fine i'm not gonna sit i'm not gonna <laughs> sit here and go how dare you um a common question, I won't read them all out, but there's a lot of people that are asking similar questions along the lines of uh, the charging network. And again, I alluded to it before when I was talking about my experience with the e-tron GT. Loved the car, loved everything about the car. And usually my girlfriend, who's takes a lot of convincing for a lot of the press cars I take home, really loved that car. But for me as somebody that doesn't have a charging a charging point at home i have got one here in the office which is great but again the job involves me driving around a lot i found that for me the public charging network was a massive inconvenience there were charges yeah. that were broken i was having to queue up for charging i remember getting to beaconsfield services on the way back from visiting family in london uh, to see nine porsche taycans queuing up ready to go but of oh, course wow. not like in a petrol station where you simply sit behind the car that's already fueling there's no real system to it, is there? They're, they're, the cars are just yeah. kind of dotted all over the place with people standing up and like they're doing that, what I call the barbershop glance, where everyone's looking at everyone else going, were you here before me? Yeah. Is that you? <laughs> um, where do you stand with that? Because this is a common question about yeah, the reliability of charging networks. 
if you're not driving a Tesla, you're reliant on one of these large charging systems like GridServe, but they're not the most reliable. We've all seen it. We've pulled into service stations or petrol stations or supermarket car parks to find a PVC bag over the top of a charging point because they're not quite there. Where do you think we're heading? Do you think this is just one of these early adaptation glitches or do you think perhaps this might be something if you're not driving a Tesla in the next 10 years, you might still have these issues? Yeah, so I don't think if you're not driving in a Tesla in 10 years, you'll have the issues. I think they will be solved. They are very much teething pains, but they're incredibly painful teething pains when you've got an electric car. Um, I mean there's a few factors all tied into that so there's the reliability of them which is it's just inexcusable mm. um and there are things like the zap map is a great app yeah. where it'll show the live status of them so it'll show if they're down it'll show if they're even being used um and then there's the the availability of them and and the availability yeah the more has to be done to to get the infrastructure there but it's also around the how you charge when you charge i mean on the long journeys we do need to make sure that everyone has the tesla experience mm. and tesla superchargers i i've never i i have a, a tesla on subscription my wife has a renault um but we'll always take the tesla because you know that yeah. you're guaranteed you i've never been to a supercharger where it's either if it's been fully used someone's not gone within five minutes uh, mm. or or if it yeah if it hasn't you can just plug in straight away and it's also so simple you just plug drive in plug it in because your car's already set up so there's a lot of work and there's no reason why tesla should be any better they've just spent the money and and got in early to do it so so everyone will get there i think it is important for there to be common uh, i guess guidelines that they have to work to i mean it would be a nightmare if every every car manufacturer rolls out a tesla supercharger network and Mm. it becomes all this island of uh, of different chargers so so it's got to be aggregated and and there are aggregators today so i mean for for onto customers they can use shell recharge that that's what is included but that's actually an aggregated network there's other ones like octopus have an aggregated network that allows you to go in and use various brands charges but mm. charge it through your own card or your own app so yeah. have one app for for it all um but i think it's also now mandated that they've got to have contactless as well so at least yes. you're not going through having 18 different apps on your phone for charging yeah inputting and your is, cut number and your yeah, address on what address inc- is that card registered to and it's yeah. incredibly frustrating yeah, to go through yeah. that so I, I do think that that is um that's something that will is being sorted mm. but it, it isn't perfect today and more needs to be done but the yeah the flip side of that is how often do you go on those long journeys and if like you said john if you drive a lot mm. you're gonna have to do that and yeah. it's gonna probably be a compromise so i i don't think until we get to the the point where you've got 400 500 mile cars uh, and and the the charging is taking you 15 minutes mm. rather than an hour to do that um it's going to be kind of applicable for you to have an ev and and similarly if if you leave, live on off street parking and there's not the option to to charge it on your street it's not it's going to be an inconvenience so so we need to 
address not just kind of what happens on those motorway journeys where it is predominantly people actually traveling for holidays or, or seeing family once in a while not every day but also addressing the where are you charging at home or or at work that means that it's not an inconvenience to you it's like plugging your phone in each night yeah absolutely absolutely out of interest have you found with people using the subscription service have you found people that perhaps weren't that excited about say tesla i guess there's a lot of brand loyalty with cars isn't there people have had generations of peugeots or citroens or oh, dad had a peugeot so therefore i'll get the new peugeot and get the peugeot electric car then in realizing that oh okay i'm pulling into oxford services and seeing two charge points from grid serve with a, an array of cars waiting like porsche Taycans to zoe's and then look at that bank of empty tesla charging points have you found a lot of people have come to you and said right I've had enough of my Renault Zoe or my Nissan Leaf. Um, can we do Tesla instead? I think it's a big draw into Tesla's, yeah, mm. their network. But I mean, I so on our Shell network, we have things. We have a range of different ones, and and I know a few that you're always going to be able to get onto those charges if you know your journey that you regularly do, yeah. like a Beaconsfield. Yeah. Um, there then yeah it's a bit of a nightmare because of where it is that you end up having a lot of people charged there but the if you're doing that journey regularly enough you might know that there's five miles down the road another charger at the next junction which mm. never has anyone on and it might be a different brand or whatever else so there yeah. is a bit of experimenting with it to figure it out i think what what we do see which is quite interesting is we have a lot of customers who come in because they want to try an ev and and actually they get they get absolutely yeah convinced that they want an ev but they don't know which one and they mm. do switch because it's only one month with our yeah. subscription they switch between the cars and and will often kind of use that to make the decision of i'm gonna go out and actually buy a vw id3 now but i thought i was gonna buy a peugeot e208 or whatever the cars are yeah, yeah, so yeah. so i think that's an interesting thing that and that, that we didn't necessarily i mean everyone talks around subscriptions as you could have a car for the summer a convertible for the summer and an suv for the winter i don't think people really use no. it like that they use it for the convenience of yeah you can actually if your situation changes you can get rid of your car you're not locked into a finance deal but i think the the more interesting bit is it's used really as a extended test drive on a few mm. different cars by a lot of customers to determine which one. And some of those customers will end up just keeping the car on subscription with us, but a lot of others will then go, okay, I, that's the car I'm going to buy. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the app. Uh, ZapMap is a great one. That's one that I've often used when I'm testing EVs. A couple of questions have come in, including one from our very own Amy, who's uh, one of our hosts, um, who's, brought that up and she's been talking about the desire of an umbrella app and i know that it certainly got better over the past few years but there certainly was a time where you'd go to a charging point and you go to plug your car in and then you realize ah this is a standalone um company therefore i need to download their app and in fact not a million miles from where we are right now there's a uh, a big stately home near here which has their own ev chargers and i found this with the e-tron gt arrived oh this one's not on zap map but that's fine i can plug in here ah but i have to be subscribed to this and then you have to download an app and then you realize that that's in a zone that doesn't actually have any 4g so you can't download the yeah. app do you think that world is getting better and do you have a solution for people that are finding themselves getting there and going oh, i don't have this app or i haven't subscribed to this service do you can you see or foresee an umbrella app 
coming where everything is integrated or is that something you've already solved yeah so yeah well i mean we use it with shell recharges included which is uh, i don't know there's twenty thousand chargers on there from various brands probably 20 brands as well that, that have their own chargers or, or more but there's the similar ones octopus have it i can't remember the name of their their one but they have an aggregated network there's a few that that offer it now what i find frustrating is the eu dictated that in europe you have to open it up to roaming. So anyone, I mean, if you had, I don't know, whatever, a, a grid serve um, subscription that yeah. you, you can go and use a BP charger. And, right. but, but actually they, um, the UK doesn't have that at the moment. So it's meant that you've, you've almost have these little pockets of people trying to build their little empire charging networks, which is from a consumer point of view, an absolute nightmare, yeah. like you said. So at least now we've got a few big aggregators that are working to, to move the needle. But um, yeah, it's still not perfect. It, it needs to get to a roaming arrangement. I think it is mandated though, that you, you have to offer contactless now as well, which yeah. is at least a step forward. But that that's not as great as it seems if you then charge a premium for contact versus being yeah. whatever on their network yeah no that's it I, I mean the amount of times i've celebrated recently I had a ev6 from kia uh, again which i really loved as a car i thought it was fantastic and found that apple pay was an absolute godsend when getting to charging points you can just plug it in apple pay there you go but then i realized oh, there is definitely a, a, an additional percentage being put on for that convenience but again hopefully with time that yeah. will get better on the subject of charging points and again i'm going to continue with uh, a question from amy um, I'll read the full question out and we can pick up bits and pieces from it. So her question relates to um, being a lady charging. What security measures are being put in place to protect people, especially more vulnerable people like women and the elderly, from being put in an unsafe environment when charging their car? A lot of chargers seem to be on quiet side streets, in car parks or at the back of petrol stations. Um, these are three places that I've had to charge my electric car at night where I categorically do not feel safe um, and then she's used you know, the comment you're feeling like a sitting duck um have you had that sort of feedback from your subscribers uh, as well yeah uh, i mean absolutely and uh, about two-thirds of our customers use public charging so it's uh, a lot of customers are, are coming to us because it's actually they they might not have charging at home or or they like the convenience but um we we have that feedback a lot and i think it's a, a really important question i, I think there is regulation that is starting to come in that helps drive it but ultimately you can't really stop if someone has a car park wants to install a charger there and it's in a, a dodgy bit in the back streets of Birmingham mm. there's not much you can really do to to legislate around that I think it's it's got to be driven probably again similar to the questions of the aggregators or whatever some some ranking system where mm. it becomes obvious that it, it is actually a, a problem and ZapMap again is really good for this because it actually shows pictures yes, comments from does. users on on where um where the charges are but and yeah I, i've had it I, I literally was speaking to a customer last week who said about the same thing and been coming home from a, a night shift at two in the morning having to plug in at the back of an empty car park and seeing 
a load of um, use who she was a bit worried about mm. at the point in time where your car's on charge. There's not yeah. a huge amount you can do. You can't suddenly drive off when, when it's plugged in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, there is more that has to be done. And I think there is a lot being done. I mean, we again, similar to the point of how far petrol diesel engines come, it's mm. the same with, with the fuel stations. I mean, I can't imagine back in 1950 a fuel station had... M&S and no. all the other bits connected to it. And I think Grid serves a great example of, of building in infrastructure around the charge points so it becomes actually an integrated part of the experience and you can get a coffee and everything mm. else. But it is, yeah, it is difficult right now if you turn up to a charger in the middle of the night and mm. it is dimly lit in a dodgy neighbourhood, you are vulnerable. So, so we do have to do more and there's, i think charge uk is the name of the, there's now a banding together of a lot of the biggest charge point operators to try and solve a lot of the issues we discussed here and, yeah. and that's one of them yeah that's good to know yeah absolutely right i think as time goes on it will get better i've seen there's that fantastic I, i'm tempted to say it's grid surf i'm not entirely sure if it is uh but there's a big um charging point in milton Keynes or just outside which yeah. famously got the big umbrella covers over them um i think we'll see more of that coming there's a spot in For fact sure. on the way down to the cotswolds and a, a drive that i like doing where they're built they're currently building right now a a EV charging station that will resemble a petrol station. You go there with your car and there'll be places to park up. And um, one of the points I did actually want to bring up, again, relating to the charging and this this subject matter, is charging etiquette. I mentioned before with the uh, e-tron GT that I had, you know, pulling up to a service station, unlike petrol, where you drive onto a forecourt and you queue up, you sit behind the, the car ahead of you before you then charge. With a lot of these charging stations, you tend to find that they are kind of, let's think service stations, they're over to one side of the car park where you physically have to reverse the car into a space or drive the car forward into a space to then plug it in. So you therefore don't get that luxury of the queue system, do you? Yeah. Have you found this with customers? Have customers come forward going, how does this work? You know, how do I, how do I convince the, uh, the take-on owner there that I was first? And yeah. yeah, I can actually give you a good example, which Dan and my co-founder told me, which, I mean, because charging is included, um, yeah. we, we see a fair amount of on-to cars at chargers when we're charging ourselves. And he said he was queuing for a charger where there's only two chargers and, and it was only him waiting. But he realised he thought it was really cool that both the other cars were, were on-to cars, so uh -huh. our, our cars, and thought, ah, oh, this is amazing. Anyway, he had to go in and get something. And um, one of the cars pulled out and, and his wife then was like, oh God, went and stood in there and another onto car came out and the person there was giving, giving her massive grief about yeah. what the hell are you doing? You can't just block it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think then he thought, actually, this isn't so great with it being all onto cars when, when I'm getting abuse from it by my own customers. <laughs> but it, it goes exactly to your point of, mm. and, and it's a really... It's a really hard one because especially while there's been to a certain extent a gold rush of everyone trying to put the charges in and yeah. it hasn't settled down to go, okay, how does this need to work? And with each charger not being connected like Tesla is, where it's a Tesla car, Tesla charger, so if you've got your, your card pinned to your Tesla car, mm. you can just plug it in and it works. That with, with Tesla, I could definitely see that they could figure out a, a, a queue system because it would be very easy to say, okay, this is plug into the Tesla app, this is when I've arrived and, and it means that I'll be on and then it pings up to say, you're on charge of seven, you're next in line and it, it only allows your car to charge. I can see that happening. What's yeah. really difficult is when you've got 
independent charging operators and independent um independent car manufacturers and it's not tied together it's mm. very hard to then so there's probably a business idea in there for someone absolutely yeah need a big car park to do it but it could work <laughs> yeah definitely um yeah just scooting through some of the questions here you know like uh, why are the charges always broken but again that's just something we're having to uh having to face a lot of people asking and again you might not know the answer to this but a lot of people asking you know when are we going to start seeing that'd be good maybe if it's even just an opinion piece from you when are we going to start seeing more ev sports cars we saw tesla didn't they they launched their roadster which was essentially a lotus back in 10 15 years ago now and they've since said you know we're coming out with a new one it's going to be fast it's going to be the fastest thing ever why do you think we haven't seen more of that yet from wider manufacturers I mean, it, I, I think it comes down to, at the moment, just the fact that they need to get to, to make EVs work. They have to spend a hell of a lot of money changing all the manufacturing and, and all the costs that go into it. And they've got to pump out a lot of volume uh, of cars. So mm. it will come once we get the volume cars out, because off the back of that, they'll be able to do the more niche sports car type yeah. um, vehicles. But, I mean, you you've driven... Audi um, e-tron GT and mm. and obviously Porsche have got one. Hopefully they'll all start coming as, as it becomes more and more mainstream. But I think it is at the moment just that they know that they need to get volume out there yeah. and sports cars don't deliver the volume. No, no, that's a good point. And it's interesting, you know, I've been fascinated by this new engineering side of evs which is the skateboard platform which means that essentially it's one platform volkswagen id use this as a as a perfect example they have ultimately although it's stretched a little bit the it is the same platform from the id3 all the way through to the id buzz it is exactly the same skateboard platform although just extended a little bit to accommodate the larger body and i find this really interesting and i'm sure with time we'll see once manufacturers get used to these skateboard platforms and having the family model, but then also having exactly the same chassis in old terms for the sports car, we'll start seeing some really interesting designs coming out. And speaking on the terms of designs, again, a common theme of questions that have been coming in is about the the style of cars. Um, And I find this interesting because I've had this conversation with a few designers, Ian Callum being one of them, we were talking about the future of car design with EVs, because of course, we've had for many years, a, a section for the engine, a section for the the humans and a section for the luggage and that's pretty much given a fairly uniform design in terms of engine at the front people in the middle luggage at the back do you think we are close to seeing completely new designs of cars as a result of evs and do you think there are the reason for the slow transition before suddenly going right here's a radically new shaped thing that we're in is because people are perhaps still coming to terms with the idea of an ev because this was one of the things i pointed out and had a discussion with ian callum about was that he his thought was that perhaps people just aren't ready for anything too new. It's all yep. it's already too new and exciting and confusing. So therefore, if we start throwing different shapes at people, that's going to be weird as well. But it would be interesting to see what your prediction is as somebody that's been working a lot with EV manufacturers. What you think the future of cars will start to look like in say ten years from now, when perhaps the trend for engine at the front, people in the middle, luggage at the back has become less necessary yeah it's funny because i think when you saw the initial evs come out like if you think back to the first nissan leafs with that bug shape and with the imeve and all sorts of random Mm. cars that came out the twizzy uh even the ipace to a certain degree they, they were very out there and i think what what the manufacturers learned is actually 
people don't want their EV to look that different from mm. what they have now. They just want it to to be the same and, and not too scary and, and kind of weird, um, especially with some of those early ones were very weird and horrible looking. Um, so I think over time it will change, but it needs to... Um, it needs to happen very, very kind of slowly for people to actually embrace it. Even mm. things like the um, the intakes at the front and yeah. um, the grill. You, you yeah. don't really need a grill to the same extent. And you can see every EV manufacturer that comes out has almost the same replica grill, even if they don't have a grill on there, because that's what customers are used to. So, mm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it happens. But I think the ones that go too radically different will just not be able to to hit mm. the mass market it's the i can't remember what i think it's the id2 that that has just been released by vw yes. which is their new polo that's coming out in 2025 yeah and i mean it looks incredibly similar to a car you'd expect vw mm. to bring out whether it's a um yeah a, a, a petrol diesel or electric and I, I think that that will probably be key until until it's kind of everyone is buying them and then it'll the design will probably be a bit more funky yeah no that's true that's true i i mean i found myself rejoicing actually with regards to uh, bmw's new range of electric cars they've gone there are sort of two design channels at the moment. There's the kind of radical, what on earth are you doing, BMW, versus, hey, that still looks like a 3 Series. And I'm quite enjoying the, hey, that still looks like a 3 Series to me because I don't like the big kind of blobby SUV-shaped EVs. But again, yeah. I can understand that from an engineering point of view, it's a lot easier to store batteries and electric motors in something in the shape of an EV than it is something that resembles a 3 Series that we've all loved for yeah, yeah, 10, and, and that's a really good point because the i3, we had BMW i3s on, on our fleet at the start and I, I hated the look of those cars. Yeah. So I'd never really wanted one. But then once I started driving them, I went, oh my God, yeah. for such a small car, it's got so much interior space because yeah. it's been designed purely as an EV. And actually, it's really fun to drive. It is like a little go-kart, but it it honestly scared me away from ever like if i had to go out and buy one and didn't have it on subscription there's mm. no way i would have chosen i i3 because it was just too out there but again i know that had a massive following as well it's very it just becomes very marmite when you yeah. get down that extent yeah the bmw i program is one that has been fascinating for me and everything was experimental and yeah they built factories especially for the i3 and then the i8 yeah um which have turned out to be really, uh, I think, massive loss leaders for BMW because, of course, it was experimental. They didn't know what the customer reaction was going to be. Um, you look at the design of the i8, which when it came out, everyone kind of went, whoa, like that's a that's a radically... That is actually new... a concept car that's yeah. been like brought to production. Exactly yeah. that, exactly that. And, and and now, even years on, you know, you can buy them now for 30, not a lot more than £30,000, the yeah. early ones, which seems like amazing value. Of course, yes, it is a hybrid. It has also got a little three-cylinder engine in there. But... Um, yeah, it is interesting to see you know, BMW threw that big experiment out there and went, let's see what people liked. Are they going to go for the sporty sports car looking concept car thing or the slightly weird blobby i3 thing? And <laughs> you can kind of see that there was clearly a good divide because they're now producing cars that look like cars as we know them, as well as these quite bizarre big blobby things like the big iX. Oh, yeah, XM60, I think, it, I think I've had recently, yeah. which is, uh, yeah, a very peculiar looking thing. Again, massive grill, like weird yeah, kind of grill, which, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, um, yeah, very, very interesting. I think the, the, the design of cars going forward over the next 10, 15 years is going to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And it will be great to see how the, uh, how the two divide from 
the demand of customers that want a car that looks like a car as they've always known it versus people that want something that looks completely bizarre. Um, where do you stand with regards to, again, common thread of questions that have come in, uh, with regards to EVs as larger, more commercial vehicles, trucks and vans? Do you ever see onto expanding into that field or do you think you're going to stick with cars? I think I think we'll probably stick with cars. We'll we'll let someone else tackle that. Yeah. I mean, I think the market is big enough, but the the trucks and commercial use is is really interesting. I mean, we started. We didn't start with retail customers. We started with taxi drivers, mm. and I mean, taxi drivers they drive a lot of miles, yeah. and and time is literally money for them. So um, it is important, and and we made it work with those drivers. It it was because it was inclusive charging, and actually we enabled them to swap in and out of cars. So so the model worked for for commercial use as well as for um for kind of regular drivers use. But that it was a different model to what what we ultimately run now, and and I think that's key. I think as trucks and everything else um develop i i honestly wouldn't know enough of whether it works or not for for trucks i'd say hazard a guess is right now it's not going to but yeah. i don't know where the technology gets to and whether there is hydrogen or other technologies that are better suited for for bigger more commercial use mm. but um yeah there's definitely going to be a lot of innovations and changes i'm sure yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, the truck thing is one that's been fascinating for me. Again, Tesla, everyone's aware that they came out with their a very, a collection of new cars, but as well as the cars, this huge semi, as they call it, um, which in theory kind of think you think, well, that could be brilliant because you could line that entire bed with batteries. That would be huge. But then where do you charge it? You know, how do you, <laughs> where, it's not like you can park 12 tesla semis with uh, massive trailers on the back in a service station because that's not going to work but yeah um yeah that's a that's understandable you know i think um but then then i guess it, it it's again the business model of like do the big lorry operators go you know what we we have to give the drivers we have to pay the drivers for taking a longer trip but they're going to save so much money on fuel that it actually offsets that it's going to take an extra hour in every five hours of driving or whatever it is yeah. and and i don't know i wouldn't know enough on that but i think that there could be innovation that means that it makes sense and and could work but yeah that's yeah. for someone else to work out <laughs> yeah it's smarter than me yeah that, that that uh that's very fair and um, a lot of people saying again um a question here from matt he says why is every ev so soulless now i mean i can kind of counter back on that as a motor and journalist in inverted commas mm. um i you know i don't necessarily agree with that i think that you can have some cars that are genuinely a, a bit more exciting than others um in the same way that you can with petrol and diesel cars as well do you where do you stand with that do you have you found there have been cars that you found to be surprisingly engaging from ones that you've driven or and on the flip side are there are others that you think okay that is a that's a utility you know that's my white goods product that i need to use to take the kids to school or to do the weekly shop um anything in particular that's kind of jumped out to you as something that's really surprised you and made you go oh actually this is this is good yeah i think firstly as well it's coming back to the ultimately car manufacturers want to push as many people into evs as possible and make it to a certain degree as vanilla as possible to start with mm. to make that transition before they get a bit more experimental and interesting but there, there are still cars i mean i talked about the i3 from an early stage that that yeah. was a bit more interesting to drive but but there's i the i, I drove the mustang uh maki recently and that had a button on there where you could i don't know if you you've driven this john but you could actually 
actually pretend that you're driving a VA yes. and it plays the noise outside That's and inside. Right. Yeah. Again, very marmite and, yeah. and a bit, um, yeah, interesting. But I think all of this will start to come out as cars get, get kind of a bit more mainstream. But there's definitely, uh, I find some cars which are very much, they're, they're made for for families and, mm. and others which are always a bit more interesting. The Teslas are are kind of what they are and a bit of a a world on their own and, mm. and a lot of people going across to. But things like the um the Peugeot E Tour Away and some of the other cars that are quite sporty. The Megane I've been surprised by yeah. actually VW three uh, VW ID three is quite sporty and fun to drive for for a general kind of hatchback mm. car. So so there's a couple which um I, I'd say I thought of just being fairly generic blandish cars which have been quite fun to drive like that yeah do you have do you feel that there are people that perhaps are and again i guess this is the the difficulty that many of us have had even from a journalistic point of view because of course often i'll meet people in the pub or go to cafe the machine down the road and you'll talk to people that ask what you do mention that you're a car journalist driving lots of cars and then they go oh but what do you think about evs and there seems to be this really common it's almost like fashionable to just start moaning about evs yeah. as soon as you start talking about them. oh but they're not the same they're not now i have driven many evs that i feel are nothing more than a utility they are a white goods product as i often like to say it does the job for the essentials there you are there you have it do you think that there is any risk that perhaps because so many people rely on the engagement that comes from a petrol or a diesel engine with the noises, and I know you mentioned synthetic noises, that's a that's a podcast unto its own, that one, because <laughs> it's a, such a 50-50 divide on whether people love oh, it or yeah, not. I know. But do you, do you see a risk for the good old-fashioned driver, the people that look forward to taking their weekend car out for a drive and having that engagement with it? Do you feel like that may change with EVs, or do you think they are going to get to a point to kind of address Matt's question there about why is every EV so soulless, can you envisage a time where people are going to be genuinely excited to go on that road trip with their EV as opposed to relying on petrol? Oh yeah, so it's a good question. I um, look, I I was always a petrol head, and I haven't driven a petrol or diesel car outside of hiring a car for five six years now mm. since since i left jlr so um yeah i mean i i think it is it is a transition that happens and i guess if, if you're like if you're a petrol head and you love driving you will always be able to get uh whatever weekend car that this petrol diesel used car this is about new car sales and and them changing and i'm sure there's always going to be niches like synthetic fuels mm. where where petrol and diesel cars will remain but i mean my my brother still drives a petrol and says yeah but i like doing all the gear changes yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing so i completely get it I, I think it yeah to a certain extent what what we're discussing is really the car enthusiast and is the car enthusiast the people who buy brand new cars like mm. two million new cars a year in the uk or 17 million across europe and it's a tiny niche of it so i think there will still always be the the option for for niches and i mean it, uh, this is uh, this isn't meant as confrontational but you look at horses and yeah. people used to travel on horses and now horses are a fun activity they're used for racing or they're used for having kind of as as pet and pets and i think it will be 
over a way longer period of time 30 years or whatever that that is what a petrol diesel engine will be and and people will have them and be able to register them and everything else tax them but it won't be seen especially for the next generation that are kids now and learning to drive now i think it's just going to be all they ever know is an electric car uh, mm. and something that they'll get tired of all of us older people saying, oh, but you didn't never experience how great a petrol diesel car yeah. is and when you change gear and everything else. So, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's, I had a great conversation with um, Ant Anstead, who does a lot of TV presenting and in and around the world of cars and has been responsible for restoring cars. And he put a really good point across, which was that he has this prediction that, 20, 30 years from now, the the many you know, children and young adults that are yet to be born will look back on a generation not that far a, long ago, even you know, as us as as drivers and certainly people 10, 15 years before, as absolute dinosaurs that actually used to put fossil fuels in a car. They used to dig up oil from the ground, refine it, put that into a car and drive it. And it's going to seem like the most ludicrous yeah, idea. Yeah. Now, I am a self-confessed petrol head. I love driving my petrol cars and riding my petrol motorcycles. But I kind of have to agree with him on a certain point. There is going to come a time where we do look back, as we have done many generations, to look back on decisions we've made as a human race historically and gone, that was weird. <laughs> Why did we do that? And I think a lot of people are terrified of change they don't like the idea that the system that they've known and that joy that they get from driving the cars that they've driven is going to be different and therefore potentially worse and i think it's yeah it is going to be interesting to see how that pans out it it will and yeah i, I completely agree with you I, I think the there will always be if there's a market for it there will always be someone who catered to try and make that transition as easy as possible and get the excitement back and probably replicate gear changing and petrol synthetic noise everything else but um yeah i, I agree with you i can't imagine my two-year-old when he's driving I can imagine he'll probably go, you used to walk along pavements and there was a car going fast that like was pumping out fuel in your face and you used to have to literally pour this flammable liquid into the car at a petrol station and, and, change gears like why why did you do that yourself like it would just be an alien concept to the next generation as as sad as that might be but Mm. it it will change with the times for sure yeah yeah i think to steam trains that's the other comparison yeah yeah we used to dig up coal put it into a burning furnace and then pump steam and coal smoke through the underground network of london that was just normal (laughs) that just happened but the idea of that happening now completely bizarre yeah, well, I'm not going to be able to get through every single person's question, but I hope I've managed to at least tick off an element of everyone's with the conversations that we've had. Because I think, uh, like we said at the beginning, you know, we're not neither of us sat here are experts in the world of engineering or design or uh, the economy or um, green matters. Um, but I think we've had a fair stab at those, haven't we? <laughs> um, just so that before we wrap things up, I'd love to be able to give the listeners a bit more of an overview of what onto is as a company and i think we've given a, a, a good few clues as we've been talking but just in case there's a few people that has there is a pricked up and gone this whole try before you buy we won't tell anyone if you're a petrol head and want to have a go in an electric car with onto we won't tell anyone you can go and do it and um, what is the kind of uh, uh the overview that's great for people to know about the company 
Yeah, so I mean, we we offer basically a one month subscription, and what that means is on a monthly rolling contract, you can decide if you keep the car for a month or a year or five years. Um, but you get an electric car, and we have I think twenty models and actually 25 models I think we now offer with insurance with servicing with all the maintenance and breakdown included and and with public charging if if you want to to publicly charge as well so it's really around trying to make it easy and accessible you don't have a down payment there's no lock-in I mean you can register online pay that that flat fee and a delivery fee and have the car delivered to your door in a, a matter of days and I mean you can unlock and drive the car using your app or a physical car key but it's very much made to try and make it easy for you to drive an electric vehicle and um and actually accessible to everyone so it's not just if you have off-road parking that you can go and sort it out the the inclusive charging is an aggregated network so it means you can go and experiment of actually mm-hmm. Is this too much of a hassle for me? Is there actually a McDonald's around the corner with a, a charger on that means that I can just leave it there and or leave it at work or or whatever else and and make all those decisions before ultimately if you want to stick with us or commit to buying a car yourself, um, whether it's new or used, it it gives you that that real try try and and kind of bum on seat feel of doing it rather than. Um, kind of thinking it's not going to work for you without testing it yeah fantastic i genuinely think the 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 process and the system is great and i think there will be many people that have yet to experience an ev and a lot wouldn't know where to even start how do i try one out yes we can all go to our local car showroom and ask for a test drive but that really as we mentioned before isn't going to demonstrate the true reality of what it's like driving these evs what it's like to charge them what it's like to experience the charging network um and And, and it's also if you're not going to buy a new car if you can't afford the thirty thousand plus or don't want to take it on finance you you're not going to well you you could go and test it but it's not necessarily going to be what you'll get with a second-hand car Mm -hmm. or anything else either yeah absolutely absolutely um so yeah let's let's give the website a bit of a shout out if people want to go and learn more see what cars they've got on offer and and sign up even if it's just for a month to have a go and see what it's all about where do people go it's on dot two so so that's simple perfect well that's a very <laughs> simple one um perfect yeah on dot two go and check it out um I'll include in the show notes below, so wherever you're listening to this, uh, there'll be some show notes there as well with links through to the website and social feeds, that sort of thing, so you can learn a bit more about it. Um, but this has been really good. Thank you, Rob, for coming in this week. Thanks for having addressing me. Addressing Hope- some, uh, some pressing questions from our listeners about the world of EVs. Yeah, hopefully I've not annoyed too many of your listeners with any of my responses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's a, it is a fascinating world. It's a developing world, and I think ultimately... The vast majority, I'd say, of, of our regular listeners uh, who are based all over the world, which, of course, that brings with it some complex- complexities because some are in countries gearing up ready for EV change now, whereas others are kind of still protesting it and are, are quite far away. It's always interesting, I think, because people listening tend to want to learn. They want to understand why there are people and companies and industries that are pushing certain things because, of course, the changes do need to happen. They do need to come or we, at the very least, need to adapt to comply with new rules and regulations. Uh, so it's always refreshing when I see companies like yours coming along who make that transition a bit easier, a bit simpler, give people the opportunity to try things rather than just go, right, that's it. Date's here. Go and buy a Tesla. 
put all your money, all that life savings you've got, you've got to go and buy a Tesla now, and that's it. That's that's you now for the next twenty five years. Um, so, and I, th- I genuinely think Onto does that. So, yeah, fair play to you. And I think I wish you all the very best with the uh, with the business moving forward. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure, pleasure. Right for you, dear listener. That is all for this week. So, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget, you can see everything that we do at drivenchat.com. There, you will see written reviews and video reviews and photographs and every single podcast episode that we've put up all there all in one place including multiple reviews around evs such as the e-tron gt that i keep mentioning the kia ev6 the bmw i4 m50 really enjoyed that um haven't yet tested a tesla and i know for a fact that teslas are quite difficult to get hold of maybe i just need to hire one for a month from uh, from on two that would be the way to do it uh, but you can also see there lots of articles about uh, good old-fashioned dinosaur fuel cars as well uh, such as the audi r8 the recent m3 touring and the hyundai i30 n coupe that i gave back just a few weeks ago all of it there for you to enjoy for now i will say thank you very much for listening and look forward to bringing you another episode next week the driven chat podcast powered by paramex digital Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.